Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Pastor Randy here with Made Free Church Idaho and Made Free Church. Um, hope you guys are having a great day, a great morning. I know I am. Let's turn on some more music. I love Josh Snodgrass. Sorry about the connection. Uh, the connection is real bad this morning for some reason. Not, not, not knowing the reason why, but just kind of bear with me, okay? So we're going to be in the, today's morning Bible study is, Can the Sacraments Save You? 
We're going to be in Romans 2, 23 through 29. So open up your word. Um, as you can see, I'm in my room. There's, I don't have a, a thing behind me. Um, there's no use for it. I don't have a green screen, so it's okay, I guess. <laughs> I'm technical that way, I guess. Anyways, let's get into this, man. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we get to spend with you this morning. We love you, God, and we worship you. Get me out of the way and let your word go for, uh, go forward. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, uh, an announcement before we get ready. Um, guys, if you guys need prayer, you know, please go to madefreechurch.org. We have a whole intercessory prayer team that prays over your prayer requests every week. Um, so, go. We have, it's, it's, we have a whole intercessory prayer team that does that. So, please go to that. Okay? Let's get into our word. Open up your word to um, Romans chapter 2, verses 23 through 29. And it says this, you know, it's several, you know, well, first, let me start off. Several times a year, I receive a phone call from a person in a community with no, you know, in, in, with no connection to our church who asks the following questions. Pastor, will you baptize my baby? So I briefly explain to the person what baptism is, and that is the sacrament for church members. I do not baptize babies. Okay, I do baby dedications, but I don't baptize babies. So after the conversation is over, I often wonder why the person wants his or her baby baptized. Do you know why a person wants his or her baby to baptize? Why would you baptize your baby? Well, the number one reason seems to me is why people from the community want their children's baptized is because they believe somehow baptism will save their children. There, there's a widespread belief that baptism is necessary for, for, for salvation. Baptism, of course, is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament sacra, uh, sacrament of circumcision. The Jews in Paul's day believed that if, if they were circumcised, they would autom automatically be right with God. Paul challenges us the thinking in our text today, right? Pay close attention as I read this text that, that at times it sounds like a tongue twister. Let me read it for you. We're going to start in, in, in 25. We're going to go through 29. Okay. It says, circumcision, it says this, circumcision has a value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who were circumcised keep the law's requirements, they will not be regarded as though they were circumcised. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code of circumcisions, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only outwardly, nor uh, only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely an outward and physical. No man is a Jew um, if he is inwardly. And the circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by a written code. Such man's praise is not from men, but from God. John Barrier, uh, it wasn't the, the 60 cents. It was a principle, right? He says this, during the lunch break, Barrier walked into his bank to cash a $100 check 
and then was and then asked the receptionist to validate his parking ticket. The receptionist refused, even though mentioning that he was a substantial uh, depositor. Barrier's request was refused. The receptionist explained that validation was only given for a transaction involving a deposit. Barrier felt his appearance, dirty construction clothes, was the one reason for his treatment. He thought that the bank manager looked at him like he crawled out from underneath a rock, right? Barrier contacted the bank headquarters with his complaint. No one returned his call. He started emptying his bank account $1 million at a time. Now, according to uh, Barrier, if $100, if, if you have $100 in your bank or $1 million, think, I think they owe you the courtesy of stamping a parking ticket. Here's a good example on how easy it is to judge people by their appearance and be totally wrong. And while we are so prone to make improper judgment based on appearance, God never makes such a mistake as in 1 Samuel 16, 7b, which is the latter part of the scripture, says man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, right? This, this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in the last paragraph of Romans 2. He's dealing with the final, he, he deals for the final time with the objection of those who consider themselves to be thoroughly religious, that they do not need the gospel. The issue is the Jewish sacrament of, of circumcision and the accompanying claim made by the Jews that all who have been circumcised will be saved. The point in today's Bible study is that no one is saved by the sacraments. I am indebted to Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, the author and one-time pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, for whom, uh, for whose commentary is much of today's material is drawn from, right? Commentator Robin Hande, uh, Haldane writes that Paul here pursues the Jew into his last retreat. See, the Jew who claimed to be the chief example in Paul's day of the uh, thoroughly religious person had begun his defense against Paul's gospel by the argument that he or she possessed the law. Paul argued in Romans 2.17-24 that the possession of the law of God, although undoubtedly a great privilege, is no is of no value if one is possessing the commands of God fails to keep them. See, the Jew, along with everybody else, had broken those laws, right? So it's not sufficient to say that I have the law and therefore I don't need the gospel. The law was given to reveal the uh, is, is the law was given to reveal the Jews and our need for God's grace. Still, the Jew had one last card to play. One final argument, and that was circumcision. Our New Testament counterpart to baptism, right? He had been circumcised, and circumcisions had brought him into a visible outward fellowship with that community of covenant people to whom God had made salvation promises. It's like saying that circumcision had made him a member of that community. And because of that membership, his salvation was certain. 
Did you really believe this? Like they really, really believe this. And just as many people today believe that they are saved because of their baptism or church membership. In various commentaries I possess, the most thorough document documentation of this point is by Charles Hodge. He drew it from a variety of scholars. Hodge writes this. Rabbi uh, Meacham, in his commentary on the books of Moses, says, Our rabbins have said that no circumcised man will see hell. In the Jakuk Rabbani, Numbers 1, is taught circumcision saves from hell. In the Medrash, Tilium, right, um, is said that God swore to Abraham that no one who is circumcised should be sent to hell. In the book of Ekedath, Jesik, right, is taught that Abraham sits before the gate of hell and though and does not allow any circumcised Israelite to enter there. See, the argument is that salvation is for the Jews, but what makes one a Jew is circumcision, right? Today, even Jews are not quite certain about what makes one a true Jew. The most common answer is that a, a, a Jew is a person who is descended from Abraham. Yet, what? But, but what about Ishmael and those who were descended from him, the Arabs? Ishmael was Abraham's son. But Ishmael's descendants were not Jews. They were a Semitic stock, right? To account for this, the official Jewish definition is that a person who, who has a Jewish mother, by this reasoning, Isaac alone would be Jewish and Ishmael would be excluded. But what about the children born of a Jewish mother or even two Jewish, good, uh, good Jewish parents who converts to Christianity in such is such person the Jew is still Jewish? According to the official theory, a child of a Jewish mother who converts to Christianity would still be Jewish. Yet many Jew, Jewish circles, conversion to Christianity is considered the grounds of not only denying that a person is Jewish, but excluding such person from his or her own biological family. So what makes a person a Jew? Well, Paul answers to this important question is radical. But notice, he does not say, since he is dealing with this uh, salvation matters, that one does not have to be a Jew to be saved, but rather that one to be true Jew, which he points out, is not a matter of external criteria, such as the possession of law, descendants from Abraham or circumcision, but of a new heart. He says this in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2. A man who is not a Jew, if he is only one outwardly, nor circumcised or uh, merely an outward and physical, no man is a Jew if he is inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, which is not by a written code. So, I hope you guys are getting this, because I'm loving every minute of it, right? Um... Most of us are not personally affected by the, the contemporary debate over the definition of a true Jew. But the matter of a new heart accomplished in us by the Holy Spirit, in verse 29, is, to, is our concern. And as, as far as the sacraments go, our sacraments are baptism in the Lord's suppers, which replace circumcision in the Passover. The issue is relationship between the sacraments and the reality of a new heart. Let me define the sacrament from a Christian point of view. 
right? There are four elements defined in the sacrament. First, the sacrament is divine ordinance instituted by Christ himself. The New Testament sacraments of baptism of the Lord's Supper, which were commanded by Christ, replaced the Old Testament sacraments of circumcision and Passover, which God himself imposed on his people. Baptism was instituted by Christ for an example when he said, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, 19. The Lord's Supper was instituted uh, by Christ at the, at the Last Supper when he said, Do this in remembrance of me. In Luke 22, 19. The second sacrament, uh, sacrament uses the elements as visible signs of God's blessing. In baptism, the sign is water. The Lord's Supper is the sign of the bread, which signifies Christ's body, and wine, which signifies his shedded blood. Now, the signs are not the same as the elements to which they're pointing to. For example, if you're driving on I, I, an I-95 in Idaho and you see the, the sign that reads Weezer 24, 25 miles, you realize the sign is pointing you to Weezer, right? Then... The sign is not itself Weezer, or if it's saying drink Coca-Cola, you know that the sign itself is not Coca-Cola, but pointing you in that direction. So it is in a way that the sacraments point to spiritual realities. Baptism signifies our vital participation in union with Christ. The sign is secondary, outward and visible. The reality is primary, the inward and invisible. Right? The third sacrament is the means of grace. Now, this does not mean that the spiritual life is automatically communicated to the one who participates in the sacraments in some magical way, right? So that he or she is automatically saved. This is the point that Paul's denying that in his discussion of circumcision or text. But this is negative truth that is some is not the same thing as saying that the sacraments have no value. Immediately after denying in Romans 2 that one is saved by circumcision, Paul goes to speak of the value of circumcision in Romans 3, which we shall see in our next Bible, uh, in, in our sermon next time in, on Sunday. It, it, but how are the sacraments a mean of grace, right? When I say the sacraments are the mean of grace, I do not mean they can convey saving grace, but rather they, that they convey helping and strengthening grace. Just as the Bible reading and, our, and, and prayer helps strengthen our relationship with God, also the sacraments help us strengthen our relationship with God. And I believe that, and this is just my belief, right? That we should be taking the sacraments every Sunday. And that's just my belief, right? And, and we'll get into that later. I'll, I'll do a, a, a study on that with you guys. Why I believe that sacraments should be done every every Sunday. It strengthens you. You know what I mean? But we'll get to that later. And fourth, a sacrament is a seal and certification and confirmation of the grace it signifies. You know, earlier I pointed out that the sign points to something other than itself. Like the sign pointing a traveler to Weezer, Idaho, or encourage you to drink Coca-Cola. But a sign frequently does something else as well. It indicates ownership. A sign saying Joe's restaurant, right, usually means that the restaurant belongs to Joe. A sign reading United States Courthouse means that the building on which it is found it is the property of the federal government, 
Similarly, signs authenticate the documents. A seal on a passport or an academic transcript validates that document. Theologians uh, refer to sacraments as signs and seals of some reality. Signs because they because they point to them. The seals is because they authenticate the one submitting the sacrament. See, this is this is what baptism. Uh, this is what made baptism so important to Martin Luther. There were times in the midst of his fearful events and his debilitating pressures of the Reformation when Luther went up and down emotionally, as forceful leaders often do, became confused about everything. In, in his most bleak period, he questioned the value of the Reformation. He questioned his own faith. He even questioned the value of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on his behalf. But we are told that when that happened, he would frequently write on the table in front of him in shock the Latin word baptis sum, which means I have baptistitus sum, which means I've been baptized. That sign would point him to the spiritual reality and he would be rest assured that he really was, uh, he, that he was really was Christ and he had been identified with him in his death and resurrection, right? Being a Jew was important. In fact, in a sense, every saved person must be a member of the covenant people. But if you are a true Jew in Galatians 6, 16, that is one must be a Jew inwardly and spiritually, not necessarily physical descent from Abraham. In the same way, circumcision is the value, but only if it points, like baptism in the Lord's Supper, to the reality of a changed heart. So we've come to the end of Romans 2. And this time, it's basically time to summarize Paul's teaching in this chapter. The apostle has been dealing with persons who would agree with the, with his condemnation of the heathen expressed in Romans 1. But who would excuse themselves on the grounds of either one of being very moral, that is a person who knows, know, uh, who knows higher standards of conduct than those who possessed, uh, who those possessed by the heathen, or two, being thoroughly religious and therefore being saved by the possession of the revealed law of God and by participation of the sacraments. Do you know any people like that today? Of course you do. You may even be one of them. But here is what the Apostle Paul says to such people. First, knowledge alone, even, even knowledge of the highest spiritual moral principles does not win God's approval. Uh, the, on the contrary, superior knowledge actually leads to greater condemnation if it is not accompanied by adhe- adherence to the higher standard. Both the moral pagan and the orthodox Jew were found wanting not because they did not have a moral code or divine revelation, but because having that code or revelation, they nevertheless failed to live up to it. The pagan did the same things. He was condemned in others, in in uh, chapter two, verses one and three, Jews likewise broke the law in twenty one verses twenty one through twenty three. Second, membership of a religious community, whether the covenant nation of Israel or the visible church, does not guarantee that you obtain God's favor. 
it's it is not belonging to the visible community of God's people that is is unimportant. But I mean, it is. But salvation is not won by external associations, as we've seen. God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but He looks at the heart. Jews have been saved. They're being saved, not because they are Jews. Church members are likewise being saved, not because they're church members. See, if anyone could perfectly keep the law of God, you would be saved by keeping it. But no one can perfectly keep the law of God. All have broken the law of God, even me, right? So, <clears throat> you can... You can be saved. Only, only you can only be saved through the result of Christ's death on the cross and the application of the work to you by the Holy Spirit. This also brings into the true company of God's elect people and develops a life consistent with a true new identity. Third, sacraments either of the Old Testament or New Testament periods can save no one. They point to what saves, right? They, but they are not the reality themselves. Charles Hodge observes this. According, and he says this, according to the apostle, the true idea of the sacrament is not that it is a mystic rite possessed of an inherent efficiency or conveying grace as a mere optus operandum, but that it is a seal or a sign designed to confirm our faith in the validity of the covenant which it is attached and from its significant character to present and illustrate some great spiritual truth. Fourth, God judges according to truth and performance. By that standard, every human being is condemned. We may not like the concluding part of the sentence, but we can hardly disagree with the rightness and value of the first part. <clears throat> Would it be right for God to judge any other than the highest and the most righteous fashion? Could it? Could he judge in any other way other than truth? Could he admit falsehood or deception before the bar of justice? Could he allow pretense or wishful thinking or mere intentions rather than actual deeds to slip by? Could he overlook sin just because a person is a Jew? or a church member, or just because he might know better. Obviously, none of these perversions of justice can occur with God, though they are all too common in human systems. If this is true, then they, then of themselves, no human can be just, will be justified. And fifth, if you're saved, it must be the work of Jesus Christ applied to you by, by the Father through the through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When David sinned and confessed his sin in Psalm 51, even though he confessed his sin genuinely and thoroughly, he did not suppose that it was a mere fact of his confession that would save him. He looked entirely to God. He prayed, one, cleanse me with hyssop in Psalms 51.7. Hyssop was used to sprinkle the blood of the animals used in a Jewish sacri uh, sacrificial system. So the, the, this, I, this was a plea for cleansing by the blood of the atonement. And added, created me a clean heart, right? Psalms 
right? As the text, as the next verse made clear, David understood this is to be something that could only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit, which is precisely the point that Paul comes to in Romans 2. I end with one last observation. In the, in the final sentence of Romans 2, Paul has a pun which is untranslatable in English, but which takes us back to the identification of a true Jew, which we began. The word Jew comes from the name Judah, the fourth son of Jacob, Genesis 32, 28. And the pun is found in the fact that Judah, Judah means praise. So when Leah gave birth to Judah, she said in Genesis 29, 35, this time I will praise the Lord. And the text adds, so she named him Judah or praise, right? So similarly, when Jacob was dying, he used the same pun, right? In Genesis 49, 8, for bar, part, the, the first part, which we call A. Judah, your brothers will praise you. See, this is the pun that Paul uses at the end of the chapter. Such man's praise is not from men, but from God in verse 29. He means true Judas, Judah or praise. It's from God and it's spiritual. It does not come from men by the outward things like circumcision. The first part, the first Samuel 16, 7b says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks beyond our profession and sees whether or not we have a new heart. The problem with the Jew that Paul was addressing is that he was trusting in the sacrament itself to save him. And of course, it cannot. The sacrament is intended to point to the reality of a new heart. God looks at you and he looks at me. He looks beyond the on your profession or your baptism or your church membership. He looks at your new heart. Do you have one? If not, cry out for him for a new heart today, guys. Because he, you know, he wants his elect. And he wants his people, right? And, and he does. He wants his people to come to and worship him. So that is it for our study today, guys. I hope you're enjoying the going through the book of Romans. Um, just a couple more announcements before we pray out. Guys, if you guys like to support Made Free Church in any way, shape, or form, please do so. Go to madefreechurch.org. There's three ways you can give. You can give through Cash App. You can give through our PayPal link or you can send a check or money order to the address that's provided on the website. And guys, we need your support here in Idaho as well. We're going to be uh, planning a new church. So if you can give that just in the um, notes as you leave your email address so we can send you a tax deductible receipt, put Made Free Church Idaho. That way we can get started. And we really do need your, your, your giving. Your giving helps. And uh, please check out our podcast, guys. I mean, Made Free Church and myself, Reformed Pastor, has Paul uh, uh, has podcasts on all po- podcasting platforms. So check us out, okay? And guys, we're seeking pastors, ministers, evangelists, preachers uh, for our new web- uh, website called PreachCore. Um, so if you're online and you're you're doing your thing, please go to PreachCore.org, submit your videos and stuff like that, or just reach out to me or my, you know, or, or, uh, one of our pastors that are on there and 
and we'll get you up. We're going to be blowing up this, uh, this website. So it's called preachcore.org. So go check us out. Um, and we want to thank you for watching. God bless you. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the life that we have today and serving you and serving others. Lord, we just want to love you and love people. And uh, we just need to get back to evangelism and sharing your word with others, Lord. We love you. We worship you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You guys have a great one. And uh, we'll be seeing you on Sunday for... Yeah, you got it. Church. God bless.